This is Blastal. I'm Lucy Dearlove. And I'm Katie Callan. This is the third and final episode, Locked In. My seven curses on the little locked in. I was twice round, but we will move it after it. But I caught it for all. When I first came to the island back in 2000, I was totally intrigued to see this four-horned, and they said it's a lamb, it's a type of lamb. It, it really fascinated me. And then I tasted it. It, it was very unique flavour, uh, as in a, in a good way. I mean, they're so iconic, so picturesque. They should be on everything. And they're owls, they're manx, they're our sheep. I'm a lot taller than a sheep. <laughs> crawling. Not much taller. No, 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 but even cr- crawling down underneath the gorse bushes. That's exfoliating. I did get it everywhere. <laughs> I did get it everywhere. Blastel is a podcast series by Lekka about food and folklore on the Isle of Man. Blastel is the Manx Gaelic word for tasty, the Isle of Man version of Lekka. In collaboration with Culture Vannon, the Manx Heritage Foundation, We've been digging into three of the most iconic Manx foods to find out about the folk stories, songs and traditions that surround them. This is our third and final episode all about one of our most ancient native animals. So I'm just going to walk this side. The boys are in here. They're all absolutely, let me see if I can find them. <laughs> oh no, they've got, oh, I know where they are. are they Do you mind a little? Yeah, of course. Oh, I'd, love I'd shut them down there to, to keep the boys well away from the youth. So I think when people think about iconic Manx animals, it's probably like maybe a safe assumption to say that a lot of people's minds go to the Manx cat, which famously is tailless. We met one in the Hopchi May episode. Very exciting. <laughs> that is the first thing people say to me when I say that I'm Manx. They'll say, oh, like the cats. I'm like, mm, uh, kind of? Sure. Uh, but there is another creature that has been there for a lot longer that the island holds very close to its heart and sometimes it's stomach. Um, And even though I am a vegetarian and this might get me exiled from the vegetarian community, I wouldn't be doing my duty as a Manx guide if I didn't introduce you to our ancient native sheep, Lockton. Now, Locktons terrify you, lying in the grass like that. The number of times you rush up to them, um, I hope he's all right. Um... Yeah. There we go. Yeah, yeah, he's Being fine. Dramatic. Oh, the first oh. time one rolled on its back. You know how you, white sheep that'll often kill them. Yes, you, you have to pull them, them back. I went rushing out, and as I got near it, just <laughs> they I do it they can for use fun. The horns, can they? Well, they roll for already. fun. So their name locks in. It comes from the words for mouse brown or burnt brown in Manx Gaelic and that refers to the colour of the sheep because they're not white like your classic sheep. They come in kind of different shades of this very like earthy brown colour. But the thing that you notice first about Lockton, the thing that really sets them apart from other sheep is on their head. Uh, Lockton tend to have these incredible curly horns like it is spectacular 
They are massive and kind of terrifying and <laughs> slightly demonic. Um, but down the road from my parents' house is Balakosnahan, where they pretty much exclusively farm Lockton. Oh, boys, do you want to come back in oh, here? they're excited. Lucy and I walked over to meet farmer Jenny Shepherd and her boys. That is her real name. That is her real name. Very appropriate. Oh, they've got so much character in their faces. They're absolutely gorgeous. Um, I've only ever had one really aggressive ram. And the only person he'd let in with him was me. Mm. And he really went for people. And he wow. had serious horns. He was a four horn. Lucy, this is your first interaction with Locktons. Yeah. What did you think? I've been seeing them all my life. I didn't think they were a big deal. Yeah, this was the first time I'd seen them properly and especially kind of as close as we were to them. Uh, we had a little fence between them, but not that much. We could really get kind of like pretty near them and have a good look. Um, they're amazing animals. They've got these cheeky little faces. They look like they look at you and they know what's going on. They're very... They look very intelligent. Yeah, and the horns are just kind of like really majestic. It's the first thing you see about them. Just kind of like they're massive. They're not just like little kind of goat's horns or like they're really like up and over the head. Like, yeah, they're incredible. <laughs> I love them. And this farm, Balakosnahan, has been in Jenny Shepherd's family for 60 years and it is where she grew up. I moved to the island when I was seven. Right. Six. Right. Seven. It's the only home I know of. Yeah. Um, I was in England. I say I'm Manx. Over mm. here, I wouldn't dare. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the Isle of Man is my home. And it's the only place in the world I see as home. <laughs> If you've heard either of our previous episodes of Blastle, then you'll know Annie Kizik already. She is a sort of go-to person for Manx folklore and history, a teacher, writer, poet and former Manx bard. She's also very familiar with Lockton herself, having lived on a farm with them in the past. They're not like normal. You'd swear they've got a wicked look in their eyes and they're doing it deliberately. No, They're more like mountain goats, you know. If you've listened to the last episode of Blastle, which was all about herring, Skeddon, you'll have heard Annie read a story from the Sophia Morrison book of Manx fairy tales all about how the herring became the king of the sea. And when sheep crop up in Manx fairy tales and stories, another creature isn't usually far behind, the Fenothery. We got Sophia Morrison's book out again for this episode. OK, well, a Fenothery were Manx creatures that were living... In, in the countryside and quite shy, well disposed generally to people in terms of being helpful. They would often go out and, and do work on the farm. They were very, very hairy and were not known for wearing any clothes. <laughs> and sometimes the whole families of Fenotheries there is even the songs about them too. Anyway, this is a little one of the many stories about Fenothery and this, uh, this Fenothery lives in the west of the islands in Gurdon. The Fenothery was wearing no clothes, but it is said that he never felt the cold. Big Gurdon, however, had pity on him that he had none. 
And one frosty winter, he went and got clothes made for him. Breeches, jacket, waistcoat and cap. Great big ones they were too. And he went and gave them to him in the barn one night. The Fenothery looked on them and took them up and says he, Coat for the back is sickness for the back. Vest for the middle is bad for the middle. Breeches for the breech is a cuss for the breech. Cap for the head is injurious for the head. If thou own big garden farm boy, if thine this little glen east and thine this little glen west, not thine the merry glen of Russian yet, boy. So he flung the clothes away, and he walked his ways to Glen Russian, out to Jew and Moor Cleary's. He was working for him then, cutting the meadow hay for him, cutting turf for him, and seeing after the sheep. And it happened one winter's night that there was a great snowstorm. Jew and Moor got up to see after the sheep, but the Fenothery came to the window. Lie, lie, and take a sleep, Dewan, says he. I got all the sheep in the fall. But there was one locked and healing that give me more trouble till all the rest. My seven curses on the little locked and I was twice round Brule Moor after her, but I caught her for all. When Dewan went out in the morning, all the sheep were safe in the corgi house, and a big hare was in with them, with two lankets on him. That was the brown yearling. <laughs> so there you are, not the brightest of the bright. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, he's mistaken, mistaken the, hair. the hair. Yes, oh. yes, yeah. <laughs> no, they weren't known for for their intelligence. So although the takeaway lesson from that story seems to be that the Fenothery are simple folk with poor observational skills, speaking to Jenny about how Lockton's behave makes me feel that maybe the Fenothery wasn't that silly for confusing a Lockton with a hair. They are cheeky, they are intelligent, they're wonderful, wonderful characters. Mm. Um, as you get to know them, they're, they're completely different. Because you obviously about... fell for them, like quite, you know, you had your, your six, was it six sheep? Six, and, yes. And you, that was it. For all the reasons I've said, you know, just how they behave as a family group and... They are wonderful sheep, mm. but there are two weathers in there who, I don't know what we do with them. We cannot catch them because they can jump anything. Oh, really? They haven't been sheared. We gathered them in and they just leapt straight out. <laughs> they can jump the gate with ease. Oh, my word. Um, and they're very strong flock instinct means they'll always jump back later and rejoin their mates. Yeah. It's just when you try and pen them, they've, uh, oh, they can jump all of this with oh, ease. Oh, my word. But fortunately, not all of them have that. Have the jumping gene. The jumping gene, <laughs> yeah. They are just menaces. <laughs> The native Locktons have grazed the hills of the island for over a thousand years, but the introduction of other breeds from across the sea meant that by the 1950s, numbers had declined to a handful, a familiar story that you hear a lot when it comes to heritage breeds in different places. This was partly due to the demand for white fleece sheep during the Industrial Revolution, and Manx Locktons could have become extinct, but thankfully, because of people like Jenny, who have a real passion for the breed, they're actually making a comeback. 
in the sort of late 1800s when they were going rare, there were quite a few farmers who went over to the white sheep but kept one or two Manx Locktons out of tradition. Um, and was that a sort of superstitious thing? You had to have one Lockton or two to keep the farm? Yes. Um, yeah, there were that sort of... But I haven't got any concrete mm. of exactly what they... Well, it's hard, isn't it? Because everything's everything was such an oral tradition, especially yes. with farming mm, and superstition. And as I say, people never appreciated the value of stock books and things like this mm. or any records. So they all got chucked out. Yeah, Because there must have been a time when people were just talking about sheep in general, that they, they just meant Lockton because that was the, yeah. the primary... The other man in... You know, the Middle Ages, 1700s, early 1700s, was just Locktons everywhere. Mm. Um, but their wool was valued and their meat. I guess I can't put it off any longer. Lucy, it is time to get to the meat of the matter and let you actually eat some Lockton. I, I feel bad for putting you through this. <laughs> I'm very sad. R.I.P. Kumar Menon is the owner of Leela's Kitchen. The difference in appearance uh, when I first came to the island back in uh, 2000, I was totally intrigued to see this four-horned, and they said it's a lamb, it's a type of lamb. And um, yeah, as a student and you know, totally new to the island, it, it really fascinated me. And then I tasted it. It, it was, uh, now I could see the massive difference. In, uh, back in India, we have goat. And over here, I tried the lamb. And then the Lockton, yeah, we, they all three different flavors all together. And I'm absolutely something I cook with uh, in my, my home um, is locked in meat whenever I can get hold of. Leela's Kitchen makes spice mixes, sauces, coffee, chocolate, and loads more. And Kuma also runs cooking classes on the Isle of Man too. I came to the island in April, 2003. Came as a student, I was a catering student. Um, and uh, the reason behind Leela's Kitchen, um, um, it was just, um, as a hobby, I started off and I named it after my um, my late Nana. Thought I'll do something in the memory. She had a massive influence in my life, along with my my mum and my aunt. We, we are a large family back in south of India. Eight of us in a house, so uh, you can imagine. So there's something always cooking. Um, I am the third generation of spice dealers. My granddad started the pepper exchange uh, back in the 1940s. And uh, pepper, as you know, is called the black gold. So my dad um, took on the business and uh, he introduced cardamom, cinnamon, cloves, along with peppercorns. And uh, so thanks to that, I've got access to very high quality products. So And that obviously reflects on in all my products. And we have uh, won several great taste awards and I've also had a few collaborations on the island. It's nice to have the fantastic local producers and you know, collaborating with them. Jenny's Farm Balakosnahan also sells all kinds of Lockton products. I picked up some of the sausages while we were interviewing her so I could have a taste. Their meat is fabulous. It's slow maturing, so in texture and a bit taste, it's more like venison than conventional lamb. It's very, 
Very dark. Dark, yeah. Mm. It's uh, low in cholesterol, low in fat. The fat on lotions tends to be on the outside or around their vital organs. You don't get the fat marbling through the meat in the same way. Oh, wow, that's a strong smell, isn't it? Especially for the non-meat eaters. Wow. This is the... The price you pay for uh, it's my fault. <laughs> doing a food podcast. I brought it on myself. <laughs> we volunteered. I know I asked for this. It has got a stronger, gamier taste. Most people love it. Uh, a few don't like the gaminess, but it's the composition of the fat is completely different. <laughs> Too conventional. It is low in cholesterol. Mm. Oh, it smells very lamby now. Like it didn't smell so strong before, but now because it's slow maturing, you need to slow cook it too. That's but, a good tip. That is a good yeah, tip. Yeah, cooked properly, it's divine. You can't cook it in the same way of yeah. a four-month-old lamb that. <laughs> They are, no, they are tasty. I think it's cooked. Exciting times. Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna try something like this. Mm. It's like the texture's kind of different to what I was expecting. It's a bit like softer. Oh. I'm not going to describe the meat to you like, <laughs> in great detail. That's okay. Mmm. I'm a fan. Into that. Mmm. Luckily for me, there is another important product that the Locktons are found for, and that is their wool. I'm acutely aware that having the second largest flock, 900 old sheep, that I really must preserve all the traits of Locktons, not just the ones that you see in show sheep. Mm -hmm. I've got some beautiful show Locktons, but I also keep the ones with no horns, polled horn, two horn, four horn. We even have a six horn, oh. which is incredibly rare. We also keep a range of fleece types. Not one fleece is right or wrong in that some of them are looser. Mm. Some are much more tightly curled. I do make sure that I keep the range of them. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their personal preferences. Right, what are we trying to do then? Oh yeah, thank you. What are we trying to do? Yeah. I'm going to make a cross turn. <laughs> I'm going to put this microphone on Someone who knows all about personal preferences for wool is Manx artist Rosie Wood. If you've listened to any of our other Isle of Man episodes, you might have heard my mum talking about Bonig, 
or my auntie Nikki talking about herring. To complete the set, we went to visit the third sister, my auntie Rosie. <laughs> Gotta catch them all. <laughs> auntie Rosie's house isn't far from Jenny's farm, so we headed on over for a bit of a folky craft session with some wool that she'd collected. I've got this big pile of wool. Where did the wool come from? The wool I got this morning on my walk um, up into the hill from here, um, up towards the mines. And it's great when you go over the cattle grid because you know there's um, the sheep are up there. And uh, yeah, scratching around a bit for it, um, but under usually on the gorse bushes um, because sheep, when the weather's bad, will quite often or frequently, probably every night, go in underneath the gorse bushes for shelter. Hence, hence when after, even when I got home and I was rinsing a lot of the gorse out of the prickles out of that, I then got in the shower. <laughs> it was like, ooh, washing my hair with gorse prickles in my hair. Because <laughs> I literally, you know, I'm a lot taller than a sheep. <laughs> crawling. No, 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 but even cr- crawling down underneath the gorse bushes. That's exfoliating. I did get it everywhere. <laughs> did get it everywhere. Well, thank you for your dedication. I mean, it would have been locked and wool over here originally because that was the only sheep I understood, the only breed of sheep for a long time. Because now a lot of the Lockton that are bred, they're, they're bred on farms, but the Locktons I remember when I was a child that were still up in the hills and things, you see them sort of spring, late summer, they look terrible because they'd be there and they'd be dragging, you know, bits of... <laughs> look, look like their skin was falling, falling off. Apart. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, because, they, you know, they were just left on the on the hillsides and looked after themselves and that's that's the natural way if you think about it sheep 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 were probably around before humans and therefore they had to naturally shed their their fleece Mm. in winter they get a very coarse rough and this wonderful dark line down the back Now that dark line is seen in lots of ancient creatures. You'll see it in Icelandic horses. Lots of these animals that go back to Viking times, a lot of them have this dark line. Don't ask me how, why. Auntie Rosie's own art takes a lot of inspiration from the natural world and the Manx landscape through drawing, printmaking, photography, but also weaving, felting and working with wool. And in her workshop, we came across something that could have been from the stories that Annie told us. Oh, look at this. So this was a challenge, a friend. When we were in lockdown, she she sent us all a spoon and mine just has to have a little heart on it. And I thought we had to make something with it. So... um, He's I lovely. Made it, made it so that's his nose. So that's brilliant. I've not got him stuffed at the moment, but that's so that's a hair made out of Lockton. Yeah, the base is lock Lockton fabric to make the thing, and then I've obviously needle felted different colours into him as well, and made him little his eyes. eyes. <laughs> his eyes. Well, are they are sort of really yeah. on that. You know, <laughs> they really on are on the side. Well, they are they're almost on the side yeah. of their heads because they, you know, they don't see you coming if you're coming from behind them because their eyes sort of. Are so far out, but yes, I love that. That's my little right, let me get locks and hair. My little locked, uh, yes, my hair made from Lockton. This is Lockton, that's Lockton, and is this Lockton here? I'm well? fairly sure that that has some Lockton in. Obviously, the, the, the Lockton is it's usually quite brown, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, you can't dye it except in other darker 
colours because you you wouldn't necessarily bleach it. Right. Okay. So so there's that you can get different colour lots. Got a crash cairn up there, and we've, it's fairly easy to do. And uh, people are people often are, you know can make one quite easily enough, and there's no harm done in that way. Mind you, finding finding ash is, is a magic word apparently more than others. One crafty, folky tradition involving sheep's wool is the crush cairn. Lucy and I had spent the morning scouring the woods near my house for a bit of mountain ash. And as you heard, Auntie Rosie had very generously dedicated herself to scrambling about for some wool. And those are the two ingredients that the crush cairns begin. So it's, we've got all the bits and bobs here. Mm -hmm. We brought this. So we're, we're making three, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We'll make one three. each, so how? So, yes, the cross kern. Cross just means cross made from a rowan. Cross made from a rowan. And so kern is rowan. Rowan, it's the Manx name for rowan. Uh, yeah, or mountain ash. Or mountain ash, mountain ash. God, it smells like um, almonds. Oh, The rowan um, is the Celtic, it's the tree of life. Mm -hmm. And it was meant to be what they reckoned that the first woman was formed from. The first woman was made from a tree? Yeah. This tree? From a rowan, yeah. How, or a mountain ash. How did she do that then? Well, I don't I don't know. The rowan or mountain ash has, has been quite renowned in a lot of different cultures as quite a significant, magical, powerful tree. So if we get our two sticks, okay, doesn't matter what two length sticks. they are. No, okay, doesn't matter at all. Depends where you want to put it when you hang it up. You take these two, and I'll just take the berries off this one. And well, we can we could probably half one of these to make yeah, two. That's a long one, I, I reckon. I don't know. I mean, I've I've seen them made quite square. Okay. Yeah, you know, you can basically that's teeny tiny. Oh, you okay, can make teeny tiny one. one. Maybe I'll just snap this and make. Mm. Oh yeah, that's the thing. We're gonna we're just gonna want to break it to smell the almonds <laughs> on it all the time. Now. It smells good. Now I've made a mess. That's it. Oh right, so, right. so all we're going to do then we're just going to go round. We put our little twigs in a put in a twigs cross. in a cross and then use your length of wool just to wrap round. Mm-hmm. Wrap it round. Wrap it round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that's all you need to do then is just sort of, let me see, ah, I was going to say you could needle felt it in, but it's not supposed to touch wool, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it's touch, like, touch metal. Of, use a bit of um, a pointy bit of stick Yeah, to just, to tuck, just to tuck that last bit in. Maybe you get some ASMR. Okay. That's like probably enough. Okay. Unless we should have put some more before we started. Yeah, avoiding metal. There's lots of auspicious times as well for not using metal for various reasons. So these things often crop up together and cross fertilize each other's ideas, I think. I don't know which way up mine looks better. There you go. There we go. Mine's a bit wonky, but. Oh, I don't, I don't, as I say, you know, they don't have to be perfect. And there we go. As simple as that. It was much harder collecting, finding finding the rowan sticks. And then oh. what you do is you just put that at the entrance to the house. 
on the front door and the back door. And a lot of people, I'd, people used to put them on the outside, but I think they put them on the inside traditionally. And it's just supposed to help keep the look on the inside for the year. So it's not about keeping something out, it's about keeping something in. It's keeping the look in, the look in or, you know, I've heard it say that it, you know, it keeps the Munjavega out, you know, the little people who can cause trouble. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's a word of bad influences to put it basically to protect your house, and obviously the the cross shape is 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 a good thing there, but um, it needs to be placed high up over a door, and um, you need to do it on May Eve, the the night before May Day. There are lots of traditions to do with May Eve and May Day, but that's one of the the main sort of symbols of it. You refresh them then for that following year. So of course, obviously, the the Spring Festival is is a big Celtic Eve festival. Eve Alden. That's like one of the nights where the um, the veil between the worlds is it's thinnest, isn't it? It is. That that and Hot June Yes. Two of the main mm. ones. So there you have it, Kroshkins, easy peasy. Find yourself some mountain ash and some sheep's wool that hasn't touched any metal next May Eve and try making one for yourself. Superstitions and bad luck are at the heart of a lot of Manx folklore and traditions. The Isle of Man hasn't always been the most lucky place, particularly for those who farm. Do you um do you know the that old Manx song Nakiri uh, Fanakta, the sheep under the snow? One? I've heard of it, um, but I don't. <laughs> you don't give a farmer an iPhone. Nakiri <laughs> Fanakta. It's disputed the history of it as it always is, but um, it certainly made a mark on Manx folk song in terms of the number of versions of this that is going around. If you were going to say, what did most people traditionally call a Manx folk? What, what, what would they have thought was a Manx song in the 19th century? Virtually everybody would have said Nikiri Foniata. That was like, this sort of identified with it. So it must have been a huge event that people all over the island we're still recalling this even into this uh, the last century and and this so it was like one of the two big big songs that uh, people remembered and sort of seen as sort of the manx really they certainly think it's amongst the oldest of the manx songs word-wise and tune-wise it appears to have been centered on an actual event in, in the uplands of Lannan up by towards where Laxey Wheel and everywhere is, is, is there um, and, and commemorating a, a huge storm there. But I believe big weather events that affected everywhere on the island and the sort of loss of the, the livelihood and the, the sheep. And um, there are records of families with names which are mentioned in this song. The story, as it as it is in the in the song, is really saying after 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 a winter of snow and a spring of frost, the old sheep were were getting on, but the the young sheep were had been born, and then this terrible snow came down, and um, it seemed to trap this particular flock that's mentioned. 
the number of sheep in the flock has, has been, I've heard, heard people discuss this, uh, may have been exaggerated because uh, the number of people who were on the island keeping sheep at the time would probably not have justified uh, the, the sorts of things that were mentioned. But um, there is Nicholas, a farmer, uh, Nicholas Raby, Raby Farm, and news came to him, this is in the song, that his sheep were um, lost in the snow California. They were down, down, the lure deep, deep down in this uh, glen in the narrow cure uh, in the gorgy bit. The chorus is, which is, oh, eerie shoom of Auckland, get up, my boys, my fellas, go out and we'll, we, we'll go and find the sheep that are in the snow. So at the end of every verse, he's uh, imploring them all to get up and get out um, and to go and go and find them. So they do. Like all these folk songs really, especially Manx ones, they don't always follow in a, a sort of straight line narrative. But at some point um, they do indeed find the sheep and a lot of them are dead, which could be devastating. But they find the young sheep, the lambs, are still kept within the, 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 the sort of body of the animals in the middle. So they're still alive. So Nicholas Raby can survive another few years with, he doesn't lose the whole flock. So uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose the importance of touching upon the vulnerability of people who were living on the land there and, you know, the potential of losing everything. And it was fairly unusual on the Isle of Man that you get terrible snow like that. But um, we had it in 2013. And here, where, where we're living at the moment, down the, down the long lane, and we're not that high up, we're about, I don't know, 400 feet maybe, Certainly this part of the island and the south and the west, we, we were absolutely covered in snow and we couldn't get up this lane at all for several days. We just could, The snow was higher than me, but my husband went out round really to see what was happening, and, uh, just walking over the tops of hedges because you couldn't, you couldn't go down. And um, there were sheep and there were unfortunately, certainly even round here, sheep who died as a result of the snow and and certainly in other parts of the island it was very very much worse that higher up so you know these well what was then rare rare events and I hope they stay rare but uh, and they were catastrophic and they were catastrophic in 2013 but I suppose way back in the late 1700s when I think was a sort of time referred to in the sheep under the snow California after song wouldn't be a lot else you were you were depending on so uh, yeah yes but what's the likelihood of that that any of those sheep under the snow would have been locked in i would imagine but i, I have no no grounds to say definitely one way or the other uh, oh well i would imagine so the na- native native sheep It matters to me that we preserve this breed. And we've got to get some younger people interested in it. So I'm really hoping if the tourist side takes over that people can see, yes, it's profitable. Yeah. Absolutely.
The Isle of Man won't have these sheep soon unless somebody preserves them. I'm doing it at the moment and a few others are, but when we die out, you know, what, what next? I mean, they're so iconic, yeah. so picturesque. They should be on everything. Yeah, and they're ours, they're yeah. Manx. They're our sheep. Yeah, I find it really moving to hear Jenny talking about the kind of preservation of Lockton as a breed. And it just really feels like another reminder that I think we've had several throughout this series that you can't take things for granted and you've really got to work to keep traditions alive and it's really important to kind of talk about them and not ignore the issue so I was really grateful to Jenny for kind of sharing her experiences on that and talking about their sheep so beautifully they are amazing. It's been really special to explore the sort of things that I guess people don't think about when it comes to food often so if you just don't even think about where these things come from and how embedded a lot of food is at the heart of a lot of fairy tales and folk tales and traditions because you know life does sort of revolve around food everyone needs to eat and they always have needed to eat and so it just makes it's a nice way of connecting with the past because it's always been there but as Jenny said it might not be at some point and so we come to the end of our blastal journey we sadly had to say our goodbyes to the island and to Katie's family who very kindly hosted us for the the time we were there recording couldn't have done without your hospitality David and Vanessa so thank you very much and then we headed back to London, but we thought to kind of mark the occasion and coming to the end of the series, we thought it would be fitting to try out one of Kumar Menon's favourite recipes for Lockton. Uh, one of my mum's collection, we are going to use Lockton on the bone, uh, if possible, uh, for this recipe, diced up. And we need a, a pressure cooker. You know, using a pressure cooker will reduce the time uh, and save energy. And we, we need at this day and age. Okay, so I'm going to put the lamb in the pressure cooker. I've got a kilo of lochton mm -hmm. with half a tablespoon of ground pepper, a tablespoon of coriander powder, a teaspoon of chili powder, half a teaspoon of turmeric, one teaspoon of garam masala, half a tablespoon of lime juice. Oh, I haven't put the salt in. Uh, half a tape. I'm just going to use my hands. Some salt. And, in um, and then we're going to add some water. We put it in the pressure cooker and we've also got the vegetarian version, which is exactly the same marinade, but on uh, carb aubergine. And I'm just going to roast that. Cover and cook Wait. in the pressure cooker for 20 minutes. And in this 20 minutes, cook on high flame or high heat uh, for 15 minutes and then lower the heat for five minutes. So while the lamb is getting cooked in the pressure cooker, we can make the gravy sauce. So for that, in a large saucepan or large pot, add four tablespoons of coconut oil, 200 grams of shallots. Now these are Indian shallots. It's, you might, 200 grams will be about 30 of them. They're really small, tiny shallots. 
um, sliced. That's so many shallots. <laughs> so many. So one large onion sliced. One and a half inch of ginger, finely chopped. Eight cloves of garlic, finely chopped. Two green chilies, chopped. And one teaspoon of salt. Add the all into the saucepan. Cook them. Fry for about 15 minutes till the shallots and the onion turn golden brown. Now you reduce the heat at this point and add two tablespoons of coriander powder, one teaspoon of chili powder, Ow. and add one teaspoon of garam masala. Cook for about a minute. Now stir. While you're stirring it, you can see the, the fresh aromas of um, the, the spices coming through. It's beautiful um, good at this stage. And all the, uh, the garam masala and the chili and the coriander brings a beautiful aroma at this stage. Yum! Oh, it smells good. Yeah, it's smelling good already. And make sure it's cooked on a low heat because otherwise you'll burn the spices. Now add one tomato, which is finely chopped, and three sprigs of curry leaves. Try and get fresh curry leaves. Quarter cup of coriander leaves. Now these are optional. Now, some people like coriander leaves, some people don't. So this is totally optional. You don't have to add coriander leaves if you don't want to. Now mix everything um, on a low flame and add one cup of hot water. Now, hot water is very important because if you add cold water, it could kill the, the, the warm spices. So always warm uh, water when you add uh, water to a dish. And uh, cover and heat, cook in a high heat. And once it's boiled, add the lamb, uh, the Lockton lamb. Mix everything. Cover and cook for further 10 to 15 minutes over the medium heat. And towards the end, add half a tablespoon of black pepper. Now this again depends on how hot and spicy you would like your, your dish to be. Um, Mix everything, rest it for 15 minutes so all the flavor from the spices will be um, absorbed by the lamb, a locked in lamb. And um, serve with basmati rice or naan bread or chapatis. And one kilo of uh, locked in lamb will easily serve about six people. Thank you. How is that locked in? It's actually delicious. So thanks to Kuma for such a good recipe. I'm definitely going to be making that again. Mm -hmm. could make it with anything. We've done it with aubergine. You could do it with turnip. I think you could do it with turnip. I think herring would be worse. Mm. <laughs> and we can do a toast. We can do a Manx oh, yeah, toast. Yeah, okay. I mean, usually I just say slant by. Slant by? Slant by. But we could also say slant as she as aish the bay as man on the rare. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Indesac. So there are my beautiful boys. Yeah, they've checked you out, they've yeah. got bored, <laughs> and they're now they're wandering back. back. Fair enough. Oh, they are just so beautiful. They are fabulous characters. You still hear of things from time to time, and they, you can think that's very hard to explain, or, uh, yeah, yes, I'm sure, they, I'm sure they'll always be, always be tales as long as there's people and strange things going about. Blastle is hosted and produced by Lucy Dillab and Katie Callan. 
This series was supported by Culture Vannin, the Manx Heritage Foundation. Thank you so much to Culture Vannin. They've been so supportive, um, not only with the grant that they gave us for this series, but just kind of generally uh, with the support online for the episodes that they've given us and just being generally really enthusiastic about what we've been doing. So we're really grateful to have this opportunity to explore Manx food and folklore in this way. Thank you, Culture Vannin. It wouldn't have been possible without you. Uh, thank you also to Jenny Shepherd, the best-named sheep farmer ever at Bala Cosnahan, Annie Kizik, Kumar Menon and Rosie Wood, as well as, I guess, now this is the end of the series, as well as everyone else that's been a part of it. You've all been amazing. Annie Kizik's new book of poetry, Mona Sings, is out now, so if you've enjoyed hearing from her in this series, definitely try and get hold of a copy of that. Our theme music was composed specially for this series by Mira Royal, Additional music is courtesy of Manx Folk Dance Society and Kedge and Kuja. Vicky Webb, aka Crumpets and Crabsticks, did our series artwork and bespoke illustration for each episode. You can find those on the Lekker Twitter and Instagram at Lekker Podcast. I really wanted to finish the series with a poem by Annie Kizik. As we've said throughout, she is a poet and former Manx bard. And this is a really beautiful poem of hers called Era Verde which means on the boat. It's in Gelg, it's in Manx Gaelic, and she repeats as mish gol tai throughout the poem, which means, and I go home, which feels appropriate. So this is Era Verda by Annie Kizik. Him shoo. Him shoo. Eravaranus nol, a tide a temach, Tammy chow mui era lair, to curan mara giri coolem, sor and selje biocher an air, biocher machri, as mischgol tie, as mischgol tie. Tangia clabanach repen a bodgelan, tan mac bain and trums and spot, as mahulan heen len jay jirden, hanodam fagan veg na lot, hanodam lot as mishgal tie, as mishgal tie. To sajids and ushja, as trillin and berna gayater and veather tara cheech and day, to doolishra agan. By Len Ellen, as Lazen and Falezek a Kirachnahi, a Kirachnahi, as Mish Chittai, as Mish Chittai.